Everybody. Welcome to the January 9th edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us, and Happy New Year. Let's get a quick take on the explosion that took place outside an NAACP office in Colorado Springs this week. According to the Denver Post, FBI officials and local police are investigating a potential motive and a person of interest. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Now, we're taping this Friday at noon, so uh, we're expecting more information later in the afternoon, um, but that's never stopped us here in Colorado Inside Out to talk about it. Um, from what we know so far, it, it looks like it at least could have been a lot worse. A pipe bomb exploded, but a gasoline tank next to it didn't. Uh, what, what do we think about what we know so far? Well, we think we really don't know what everyone will know after 4 o'clock today. Uh, we, I hope that it is not a target, the NAACP was not targeted, and that it was just someone who had gotten a bad haircut at the nearby salon. We do not need any hate crimes in Colorado right now, but man, what is going on in Colorado Springs in general? It is definitely the great story capital of this state. It really is, and that takes a lot. We have Boulder, so you're thinking to, to take that away uh, the, as a title is hard to do. Uh, Amy Oliver Cook from the Independence Institute joining us today. Uh, what do you uh, make of what we know so far? Uh, and also, it, it, it's a low-profile building. There's a couple different things in this building that we're talking about. So, what do you think? Well. We don't know much of anything at all. In fact, uh, the Colorado Springs Gazette had a great story that said, what we know, what we don't know. And we know less than what we actually know. So uh, something was detonated. There was some sort of a, a device was exploded. There is a person of interest, and the building had a barber shop and the NAACP, like Patty. I'm hoping that the person was just upset because guy cut him a little too close and, and that's it. But we don't know. So it, it's really hard to speculate because you don't want to go down the, well, what if this is a hate crime until we know exactly what it was. Ed Seeler from Denver Business Journal, a crack reporter at the Capitol, uh, taking a break to join us today. Uh, what do you think about the reaction so far to at least what we know? Well, I think the only thing we do know is that whoever did this is a complete amateur. I mean, this is a pipe bomb that was set up next to a can full of gas and that didn't explode that can full of gas. I mean, so it, that doesn't give us any comfort other than this is not a really serious organization with any ties to successful bombings that is trying to pull this off. Um, until then, it, it's really tough. I know there is a potential person of interest that they have on video, but nobody seems to be able to make a connection. So um, uh, the good news is that um, whoever tried this was an idiot and couldn't pull it off. Uh, the bad news is that may take us that much longer to figure out what has happened and why. Alicia Caldwell from the editorial page of Denver Post. Wrap it up for us. Well, you know, we do have a good description and, and video, so I don't think it will take that long. With the FBI on this, the amount of, of interest that this has sparked, I, I think they will have something. They will have someone. Um, as, you know, as everyone around the table has said, we don't know if this is domestic terrorism. We don't know if this is a bombing versus an explosion. Uh, but if it is domestic terrorism, it's not something that's unknown. You know, we can go back as far as 1995 to the Tim McVeigh, um, Terry Nichols bombing in Oklahoma City that killed 168 people. Um, it is not unknown. But whether this is that is yet to be seen. 
Terrorist attacks at the Charlie Hebdo magazine offices in Paris on Wednesday triggered a manhunt and subsequent standoffs on Friday. While suspects in the case were killed, the conversation over free speech and terrorism quickly became global. Uh, Patty, this has been huge. It was huge just on Wednesday with what happened, but when Friday, all throughout Friday morning, we've seen, and developments are still going. We don't know a lot of information that may come out through the, the rest of the day. Uh, it was chilling, I think, especially, I think we have everybody that celebrates freedom of speech, especially folks at this table uh, have a certain tie to this. What do you think are some of the ramifications going to be from what happened in Paris? Well, and as we hear today, because for once the news actually was on our schedule, we had another standoff at a kosher deli in, outside Paris where the gunman was a terrorist, was killed, but so were three hostages. The Kawachi brothers, who had been holed up in a printing plant also about the same time, were killed. So we're just beginning to get all the shockwaves out of Paris. But it's not just a free speech issue, obviously. It's a freedom of religion issue, too. And what's been amazing to me is how many people have been calling as though they suddenly think it's going to be a trend that people are going to be running around shooting journalists all over Denver, too. Uh, it, doing journalism is hard, and people know this. I mean, it, doing cartoons is hard. You've got, you've got the budget issues. You've got the staff issues. There are so many ways that people... Um, are trying to quash the news before they actually go out and shoot you. They pull their ads. I mean, it is difficult doing journalism, especially in, these in this day and age. And then to have something like this tragedy happen at least is reminding people of how important free speech is, how important it is to be able to say what you believe, whether on print or on the air like we are right now. I've had a lot of people calling me just trying to say, are you being threatened? Do you remember the biggest threats? Ironically, the biggest threat we ever had, and we had to have guards, we had bomb threats, was what he wrote about the CU football team and Coach <laughs> McCartney. So uh, there are a lot of ways to really try to intimidate the press. I am hoping that this is one that reminds everyone how important freedom of speech is, how important freedom of religion is, and that the world comes together around it. Uh, Amy, what do you think about the reaction so far? It's not just been about France, but it's been gone throughout Europe. Even the conversation about reprinting the cartoon that was the subject of uh, at least the, the hate that was directed towards this magazine. Uh, it's been interesting to see all the different follow from really all over the world. What do you think? Well, first of all, je suis Charlie. I think um, everybody here around the table, you know, I am Charlie. Um, what has been really interesting to me on, on the reaction to that is still we see publications self-censoring because they're afraid of or they don't want to offend. And I, hopefully everybody here gets a chance, if they haven't already read it, is Cheryl Atkinson's great book, Stonewalled. Whether you're talking about unpleasant static, where you're being harassed and intimidated as a journalist or bullied, sometimes by people in our, in, in our own profession, in the media, all the way up to being threatened to be killed, that we still, words matter, freedom of speech matters. And the only way we fight the kind of tyranny that we see or somebody, they are so offended by words that they're willing to kill someone. When we think about what, what is our reaction normally? If I disagree with somebody, my first reaction is not to pull a gun out. My first reaction is to have a conversation with them. And that's usually about my only reaction. So the fact that we are still self-censoring I find still disturbing, and I think there is an assault on free speech, whether it's self-censoring or it's, you know, fundamentalist movements that are try that are looking to target journalists. And I do want to hold up the prototype of my pin that I want someone, some creative uh, a person out there to make for us. So two pencils. 
but I, I, I hope that we don't continue self-censoring. Uh, Ed, as uh, you've been a journalist for not only for the Denver Business Journal, but also for the Rocky Mountain News, and uh, while you probably haven't haven't set off whole continents on fire with the controversy with some of your writing, as a journalist has had to to, to strike a, a a certain tone with you. Well, I mean, it, it does. It, it strikes a certain tone, I mean, because you worry. Uh, let's remember, it's not like one journalist was targeted here. It was right. an entire publication um, that uh, uh, that came under the gun. Um, uh, but but the other thing that strikes a, a very resilient tone is the 10,000 people that filed into the streets of Paris saying we're not going to be intimidated, which is really nice because when you look at the polls of, you know, America's most respected professions, journalists are really usually down there with lawyers and car dealers at the bottom. Um, but to see people rallying around the idea that uh, our First Amendment rights, and, and that's both, as Patty mentioned, freedom of speech and freedom of uh, religion, are, are, are sacrosanct. Um, that's, that's heartening. It was also particularly heartening. I wanted to call out uh, Berliner Zeitung magazine uh, in uh, or a periodical in Germany who uh, responded by predicting many of this guy's cartoons. I mean, that just kind of stood up and said, we will not be bullied, we will not be intimidated. Um, I, I think those kind of shows are very important. I think had people capitulated, said we're not going to be doing things uh, because we're worried about a, uh, not even a religious group, a fringe sect in a very large religious group, most of which disagrees with what's going on here, um, you know, that would, have, that would have been doing what Sony did with the interview and, uh, and giving the nod uh, to the threateners, not the people who are trying to actually uh, do something productive. So uh, I'm glad to see the world has had journalism's back here, and hopefully that can stop uh, anyone thinking about a repeat incident. Alicia, being on an editorial page, I mean, your whole job is to take an opinion and, and receive a lot of probably disgruntled opinions from throughout the community. Uh, what do the events in Paris uh, mean for you and your colleagues at the Denver Post editorial page? Well, obviously, it's something that hits home for us, and we take very seriously. Um, it is, it, it, there's no way to condone what happened there in any sense. Um, it does make me think, though, if you think about really the content of some of what they were saying, it's absolutely legally justified. I will defend their right to say it. But it's not the kind of thing that any of us at this table, you know, would likely have engaged in. And I think there is, there is, there is an issue with allowing this to turn into intolerance for religious differences. And I think we have to be we're all mature journalists and think about these things deeply. And, and, you know, I hope it doesn't bleed into a, you know, a backlash against, um, you know, the Muslim faith. Uh, it's, 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 a fun, it's horrible what's happening over there. And there's no justification for going into an office and shooting, um, shooting up the place. But I think we do have to be careful and responsible about how we treat other people and respect their beliefs. The 2015 Colorado Legislative Session officially opened this week with Speaker of the House Dickie Lee Hollinghorst and Senate President Bill Cadman at the helms. The session began with speeches calling for unity and cooperation, but many of the bills offered in the first week were far from bipartisan. Uh, Ed, we're going to change format a little bit and start with you as our Capitol Hill reporter. Um, you, you've been there. You just came from the Capitol. You'll probably be going back later, later today. 
What can you report from the first week at the Capitol? Well, the first week at the Capitol shows that and every session begins with the platitudes of crossing the aisle and working together. And there were those again. But even as those are being said, it became clear that these are two parties coming from two very different places this year as well. And I think that's actually not a horrible thing. It's not a partisan thing. It's showing that there are different ideologies at play. And this is a session uh, with the Republicans leading the Senate and the uh, Democrats leading the House, where we're going to find out if there can be middle ground between the two ideologies, um, which I think is a heck of a lot better chance here than there is in Washington, D.C. Uh, you saw Republicans coming out um, uh, saying, first of all, very loud and clear, the issue is moot about whether or not people are going to get Tabor refunds this year. So, I mean, that, that, that seemed to be the, the biggest foot stomp I saw of the day, um, saying that we do not want people messing with our oil and gas resources, uh, saying that we want to cut regulations in the state. You saw Democrats coming out and saying, look, we want to help the middle class. We want to do more to train workers. We want to do more to cut people's debt and educational debt. Um, these, are, these are very different ideas. The, the oil and gas resources was, was most apparent in the two House speeches, in fact, where Brian Del Grosso said, essentially, leave your hands off oil. And Dickie Lee Hollinghorst said, we need to do something to stop these fights over drilling. Um, I think it's, it sets up a session that could go one of two ways. You could either see absolutely nothing pass. Things get out of the Senate, they die in the House, vice versa. Um, and I think that's very possible. That is a lot what we saw in the 2012 session when roles were reversed and Republicans had the House and Democrats had the Senate. Um, but I think there is also so many issues coming up right now, there is at least a popular sentiment on. I think the debt issue is one where Republicans are going to have to find some way to say, okay, let's talk about if there's anything we can do. Uh, I think that the issue of construction defects is popular enough now um, that, that Democratic leaders who have said we have no interest in reducing people's right to a trial uh, are going to have to come to the table and listen. We're going to find out in 120 days, but I think it is going to be a very debate-filled session, the likes of which we haven't seen in quite a few years. Alicia, even though I think uh, a lot of the most partisan wings of the party are going to make the most headlines and news, they're going to be louder and, and sure. so crazy bills on the right or the left, the power seems to be, with only one vote difference in the Senate and three votes in the House, the moderates who can maybe wiggle one way or the other are really going to have the power. Do you think that will bring forth more moderation from both places because really the moderates can be the ones calling the shots. And I think in some ways it, it has a little bit already and I might argue a little bit with the premise of, of um, the question because there, while there have been some, some bills and some positions taken on, on the edges, there's also Bill Cadman, Senate President Bill Cadman's bill um, on Tabor refunds and funneling them more toward the middle class, which has attracted a diverse um, uh, body of supporters. There is uh, work. There are workforce development measures that are out there that seems to be a consensus um, issue. Uh, there is also K to 12 um, funding, uh, restoring K to 12 funding. Um, we had we had Democratic leaders and Republican leaders uh, in in the last week to talk to us about their priorities into the editorial board, and there was a lot of overlap between them. I mean, there are differences, and you know, frankly, by the end of the session, they could be at each other's throats as they get into uh, deeper discussions. But at the outset, I think there is a lot of agreement, and I think there is a realization that the margins are thin, and the only way to get anything done is to compromise. Patty, with the way it's structured so far, do you think John Hickelberg is going to have to do a lot of maintaining, making sure this doesn't get to my desk, or is that going to get weeded out because of how close everything is right now? 
Oh, I think he's going to have a much better time this time than, in, than certainly two years ago because it will get weeded out more because, before it gets to him. And he's going to be able to focus on some of the moderate positions, the economic building, the getting people jobs who have fallen out of the workforce. He'll be able to focus on things that those moderates in both sides of the party can agree on. And, in fact, he has already put forth his first position, which is to get people who've been out of work, unemployed for more than six months, back to work, which is a great position because even though Colorado's unemployment, I think, fell last time to 4.1, it's that low partly because people have just given up. Mm -hmm. And I think to try to get people working again while Colorado's economy is looking up and to find places for them, try to figure out what's going to happen with Tabor, what we can do to build the infrastructure, help the middle class, really solidify the gains Colorado has made over the last few years. I think that'll be the focus. So there will be some people actually getting things done on that level in the legislature, and you would hope in the governor's office. And yeah, we're going to have some crackpot bills, too, because we've seen plenty of them already emerge. But we'll be able to make fun of them at this table. So it's a win-win for us. It really is a win-win. <laughs> it's a good point. Uh, Amy, in full disclosure, uh, uh, your uh, husband is a state senator now, a former, former sheriff of Weld County, uh, John Cook. Uh, you don't have to divulge any of his impressions from the first week, but what have, been, what have your first impressions of this week have been? Um, well, first of all, I think um, everybody at this table will probably be surprised to know who he is co-sponsoring a bill with somebody out of the House, and it is a Democrat, and they are working together on a, a victim, um, a victim's right bill. So, so you know what? Uh, somebody reached out to him, and and so so you will see that bipartisan agreement. And I'll tell you what: I, I also think, you know, going back to what Ed said, both parties look and, and want to be the champion of the middle class. It's how do you do it? So you have the Republicans saying, listen, if we have less regulations, you have small business that then will be able to employ more people. Whereas, for instance, Morgan Carroll saying, you know, and this going back to both of their speeches, um, Bill Cadman and Morgan Carroll's speeches on opening day, Morgan Carroll saying, well, we, you know, XYZ programs, this is what we want to do to help the middle class. It's how are you going to get there? I happen to think divided government is good government. It, it does force, um, it, it forces more moderate and reasonable voices. And the person who will be most thankful for all of that will be John Hickenlooper. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. With oil prices hitting record lows not seen in years, Colorado oil and gas companies lost over $26 billion in value in 2014. Some companies have halted drilling, and others are weighing future exploration decisions. Uh, like we did last time, we'll change form a little bit. Amy, we're going to start with you. You're from Weld County. That's the epicenter of oil and gas development in Colorado. It, it, oil is up and down. It's not like it's always going to be. Uh, it, Colorado's used that for since it was discovered here. But what? How has this most recent change uh, be, uh, been dealt with? Boy, there's there's a great question. I had a, a gentleman that I, I spoke with at length, one of the bigger producers in Weld County, and he said, you know, th this is a market cycle. This is just, and we know that we. You know, larger companies are going to be able to deal with it. The larger operators will still continue. This is where technology is important. They can be more efficient. And, and as he said, you know, when, when we're producing at $100 a, a barrel for, for gas, it's great for us. He goes, but we also know that the other side is coming. And that's great for consumers. It's simply the law of supply and demand. They know that. They're preparing for it. What does that look like? We don't know because we don't know how long 
long a global commodity like like oil will will continue at fifty dollars a barrel or where I think it was it even dipped below that. Mm-hmm. Um, it um, there are certainly people in Weld County wondering, okay, now do we go back into construction after we left construction and went into oil and gas? But I I, I just think we're we're a little smarter than we were back in the. 80s when absolutely it destroyed the economy, but um, I, and I think Weld, Weld County is well positioned with no debt, no sales tax, and um, much of what we do we pay for with cash. So while it is it is not great for increasing the job market or anything, or increasing jobs or anything like that, it is still great for consumers. Great for consumers. Uh, Ed, with your experience at the Denver Business Journal, I'll tap into that. What do you uh, see in other sectors responding in, uh, to probably at least oil companies losing so much in value in Colorado? Well, I would imagine that uh, you know Colorado has gotten uh, hit pretty hard with with the very true moniker we're we're the most expensive place to live in between the coasts right now. And I mean, one of the reasons is, and uh, you know, you, you see these booming industries. People are moving here. Hey, you know, we we can jack the heck out of uh, rent prices and apartments. Um, I think this will actually probably hit that market a little bit. Maybe bring uh, bring some of that demand down. Um, maybe that'll be good for people as well. Um, in terms of other markets, I don't know exactly how far this is going to go. Um, I think from a political perspective, this is going to energize the debate over oil and gas regulations. I'm not sure this will do it in as productive a way as people would want. I think you're going to have some people coming in saying, oh, look, it's a volatile market. Let's get it out of the state. And others saying, hey, don't ever touch us with any regulations again, because clearly we're volatile. Um, but I think it will at least put into perspective the debate that will happen over the second half of the legislative session after a task force comes back with its recommendations on what oil and gas means to the economy and what role, if any, the state can play with such a volatile market. Alicia, do you uh, think that the arguments over fracking will be the most affected by what's going on right now in the market? I think it might take some of the heat out of the arguments. I mean, for those who are who, who are motivated by the, the direct effect that some of this activity has on them, with the lessening of the activity, you know, one would think it, it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off to get it done right away. I mean, there are other political reasons that you might want to get it done, i.e., you know, when the pressure's off, that's actually the best time to, to, for cooler heads to get together and, and try to come to um, an agreement on some legislation that might actually pass. Um, as for economic impacts, I, I'm not entirely sure that the average person realizes how many people in this town, in Denver, work in oil and gas, and not just in actually out there drilling or planning the drilling. There are lawyers associated with it, geologists, ancillary businesses. I mean, you, you can't shake a stick in this town without, uh, you know, hitting someone from the oil and gas industry. So, you know, I, I do think if this goes on for a long time, we'll see some economic reverberations in office space and other employment opportunities. So, you know, it, while we have lower prices at the pump, hooray, you know, there are other um, effects as well. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, at least it is not going to be 1984 when those opposite buildings were empty. As someone who just spilled her gas tank today, isn't it great? I mean, it's like, <laughs> that's what does feel like 1984. I think this is a time where it can be a cooling off. People can talk about fracking. You won't have the intensity. We must do it now. Colorado is certainly better off than, say, North Dakota because we've got a much more diverse economy. Rents might go down a little bit. It is an opportunity just to level off a little bit and pay attention to everything else we have going on in the state.
Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, start us off. I'm going to exercise my free speech right now. Just because we celebrate the free speech doesn't mean we can't say when someone says something stupid. And I'm going to talk about Greg Doyle, an Indianapolis columnist reprinted in the Denver Post today, who compared the Broncos' behavior to the Arapahoe County Jail where James Holmes is. It is the single worst piece of writing I've seen in a long time. So don't miss it. You can fortunately read it in the Denver Post. <laughs> that is saying something, Amy. Thank God you didn't say my last column incomplete. complete. <laughs> um, no, mine is John Ford, the head of the Jeffco uh, Teachers Union, who called the reform-minded uh, majority board um, bastards, if I can say that, on, on the air. So <laughs> there we go. There, um, that's my disgrace of the week. Ed. Former Congressman Michael Grimm never shot a reporter, but he did actually threaten to throw one off a balcony when asked a question. Grimm resigned this week after a conviction of tax evasion fraud, and I frankly think both parties will be a little happier for it. <laughs> Alicia. I'm going to call this one the, my disappointment of the week. Um, Mike Merrifield, who's recently back in the legislature, introduced a bill um, to take out the um, a, a piece of teacher evaluation, the new teacher evaluation system that would use student achievement, um, progress in student achievement as a measure. Let's give the thing a chance to work first before we decide to uh, strip, to rip it apart. Always the hardest part of the show, say something nice about somebody. Patty? Big event this week, and I'm not talking about the Broncos game. I'm talking about the start of the stock show, a celebration of a much older industry than the oil and gas here. Here, here. Amy. Rick Redman, he's a Littleton police officer who paid out of his own pocket a funeral cost, $3,270, for a little boy that he had hoped he had saved when he collapsed in a Walgreens. Ed. Uh, had a recent chance to visit Inner City Health Center, a formerly uh, non-profit non -profit center formerly dedicated to serving those without insurance. That's making a great transition into serving people now that they have Medicaid and insurance and doing a great part for the North Denver community. Alicia. Uh, Scott, uh, Sean Renfro, um, who lost his life, uh, Jeffco Sheriff's uh, Sergeant, who lost his life attempting to help out people in an icy accident situation. It was nice to see after all the different stories we did in 2014 and even before that of how many different uh, shenanigans being pulled in Denver Sheriff's Office to see actual heroes doing their thing. Sadly, he lost his life doing that, but he saw that over the holidays and the, 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 the people that make the, the position um, the, the proud institution it really right is. Now, so yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. That's all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, you can count on uh, Channel 12 throughout 2015. We're very excited to start this new year. We've had a variety of new programs coming up, whether it be just on Fridays or uh, a whole magazine shows, music shows, wh whatever it is. It's all coming. We're very happy about this 2015 year, all made possible by you. So for all those folks that uh, donated our most uh, recent December pledge drive, thank you very much for helping us out and for uh, making us so excited about 2015. And for everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.